maybe seven or eight years after my father had been missing while she was still legally married to him, um, she had gone out on a few dates and she would come home and I would immediately accost her and say, well, Mom, if Dad came home tonight, what would you do? Would you go out with this man or would you just tell him to get out of our lives because our dad is back now? The uh, Hanoi government is uh, currently storing over 400 bodies in a morgue in downtown Hanoi. The children of two U.S. servicemen listed as missing in action in Southeast Asia. A total of 2,404 Americans are still unaccounted for after the effective nine-year U.S. involvement in Indochina. This compares with a figure of over 80,000 for the four years of World War II and 8,000 for the three-year Korean War. About half of those unaccounted for are listed as killed in action, but their bodies were never recovered. But 1,275 are carried on Pentagon files on prisoner of war or missing in action status. The so-called POW-MIA issue has proved to be one of the major stumbling blocks on the road to any kind of normalisation of relations between the US and the government of Vietnam. Part of the problem lies in the repatriation of remains. US sources maintain that the Vietnamese are eking out the return of recently recovered bodies for publicity and propaganda purposes. The Vietnamese say that they have separated the repatriation of remains from their other outstanding disputes with the US, have declared it a strictly humanitarian issue, and are sending back remains as and when they find them. Lieutenant Colonel Keith Schneider is the US Defense Department spokesman on the issue. Since late 82, we've been engaging in what we describe as technical talks with the Vietnamese. Uh, These are meetings held in Hanoi, Uh, consisting of the working-level experts from both sides. During these meetings, uh, only the issue of missing Americans is discussed, and it is during those meetings that our team will present case file material to the Vietnamese on specific cases, in the hopes that if the Vietnamese are serious in the pledges that they have made uh, as far as their cooperation in assisting to resolve this issue, that that material would be very helpful in any undertakings they would engage in in an attempt to resolve those cases. What has happened since 82? How many people, how many uh, explanations have there been? How many MIAs have been struck off the list, as it were? Well, it's difficult to fix it uh, specifically to 82. Uh, On that same vein of those technical meetings, uh, thus far there have been 17 of those meetings, and another one will will take place uh, commencing this weekend, which will put us up to 18. However, since the the end of uh, the U.S. involvement in Indochina, we have had 179 cases that where remains have returned to us and subsequently been identified as Americans. Now, we have received more remains than that, but out of all the remains that have come back to us, 179 have been identified as being those of missing Americans. The other and more emotive area of contention between the US and Vietnam is that of the possibility that live American prisoners are still being kept in Southeast Asia against their will. Since 1975, there have been over 1,000 live sighting reports of Caucasians, mainly from people who subsequently fled the country in the boat people exodus of the late 70s. At least one highly publicised, privately organised attempt to recover supposed prisoners in Laos was aborted after details were leaked to the authorities. The National League of POW MIA Families believes that some Americans are still captive in Southeast Asia. The League's spokesperson is Colleen Shine. Her father, a pilot, has been missing in action since 1972. 
Well, the National League of POWMI Families, which is what I'm a member of because my father is missing it and who I work for, believes that Americans are still alive in Southeast Asia. So with that belief, certainly the pace of results is unsatisfactorily slow. On the other hand, there has been progress. Um, the fact that we do have technical meetings and policy-level meetings with the Vietnamese and Lao governments, I think, will will bring about, hopefully very soon, some of the answers that, that we as families are seeking. You believe that there are still prisoners in uh, in North Vietnam or in Vietnam? In Southeast Asia, yes, we do. Um, and that's something that we don't base on any speculation, allegations, nor do we base it on a certain piece of concrete evidence. We base it on the history of the issue, known discrepancy cases, which are cases where we have a photograph of an individual maybe in captivity during the war and have had no information as to his fate or whereabout, or the last thing we may have is some radio beeper signals where the individual said, I parachuted out, I see enemies, enemy forces, and I'm going to destroy my radio, and that's the last we ever heard. Um, that's discrepancy information, information where we feel that they could provide information on that individual's fate. Since early 82, very early in the first Reagan administration, <coughs> uh, the policy has remained unchanged. And what that policy has stated since that time is very simply, although we have thus far been unable to prove that Americans are still detained against their will, the information available to us precludes ruling out that possibility. Actions to investigate live sighting reports receive and will continue to receive necessary priority and resources based on the assumption that at least some Americans are still held captive. Should any report prove true, the U.S. government will take appropriate action to ensure the return of those involved. Basically, what that is saying is we have a wealth of information. Given that information, uh, we maintain that the only responsible stance on the issue is to operate under that assumption, but I would stress the term assumption. Unfortunately, at, to this date, we have not been able to prove, to verify that premise. But we approach every bit of information that comes to us on the initial assumption that it's coming from a credible source until it's proven otherwise. Everett Alvarez spent eight and a half years in various POW camps in North Vietnam during the war. He was the first pilot to be shot down on a combat mission. Given his knowledge of the Vietnamese attitude towards prisoners of war, does he believe that there could be any live POWs in Southeast Asia today? I don't know if anybody is being held there against his will. It is possible. Like I say, guys would disappear, and next thing we know, the Vietnamese has listed them as dead. Uh, two guys came back we thought were, we'd never see them again, and the last they showed up, we thought they were dead. Uh, they were held in a hospital-type arrangement, and they said there were others there. Now, we had a very good communication system. We knew who was in the camp at all times, and we knew where other guys had gone. And when other guys would come from other camps, we knew who were in other camps. And so, it, you know, it's a period of months would go by before, but we knew who was where. And because they moved us around a lot, so we kept track. Anybody who ever got into our camp system, we can account for today. I'm talking about the camps in and around Hanoi, North Vietnam. We heard tapes. We saw pictures in the magazines or whatever of others as they were shot down and we heard tapes of guys when they were captured but they never showed up in our system and so we don't know 
especially over in Laos. There was only a small group from Laos that came that we knew. Uh, they were held in Hanoi, right near us, and we communicated. Then they took them back and forth. Uh, you know, if a guy was injured, serious, hurt bad, chances are he didn't live. Very few guys with serious injuries lived. John McCain would have been dead today had they not discovered his father was uh, a high admiral. And then they took him to the hospital. He'd have been dead. Others uh, with serious injuries, uh, you know, there are no amputees that came out. None of us came out without arms and legs. Uh, they just didn't take care of you. So whether somebody, uh, you know, it's possible somebody could be held, but if they are, they never got into our camp system. One incident we have is a Colonel David Herdlicka, who is the United States Air Force. He was flying an F-105D, and this was over northern Laos. At that point, he did eject after his aircraft was shot, and a flight member reported seeing him being led away by natives shortly thereafter. We have a post-capture photo of Colonel Herdlicka in captivity, ne necessarily, and for that reason, we feel... He is one of the discrepancy cases, one of the cases which the Lao government should be able to provide us information on. When but did he actually go down? What uh, round about what period in, in the war was it? Towards 1966. The end of, so it was towards the beginning of the war. Right. Um, and that's something that we still have no information, although the Lao have at this point pledged to provide information on his case. So he's been missing for 22 years. Correct. Do you realistically think that he could still be alive in Southeast Asia after 22 years? Men have certainly withstood longer times of captivity. But why? Why would the, uh, the Lao authorities want to hold on to him for that period of time without communicating in any way with his family, without trying to extract, quote-unquote, ransom of some description right. from the American government? I think that to speculate on Vietnamese or Lao motivation has proven to, to be unhelpful in providing us any of the answers that we seek. As I mentioned, we do believe Americans are allowed, and that's based on the history, the discrepancy cases like Colonel Herdlicka's, but it's also based on the weight of intelligence information that we have at this point. Since the fall of Saigon in 75, the U.S. government has received uh, something in the range of 7,600 reports that pertain to the issue of missing Americans. Now, we try and divide those reports into different categories. Uh, hearsay reports, uh, something we classify as dog tag reports, which is nothing more than the basic data you would find on military identification tags, uh, first-hand live sighting reports. The, the type of report that gets uh, immediate and highest priority attention is that final one, first-hand live sighting reports. And there I would emphasize the term first-hand. That's someone saying, I saw. Uh, since, again, the fall of Saigon in 75, we have received 1,030 first-hand live sighting reports. The status of those reports, roughly 67%, have been resolved through correlation with Americans who were in Indochina but have since either returned or been accounted for. Uh, approximately another 22% have been determined to be fabrications. That leaves 11% or in this case specifically 119 reports that are currently in an unresolved status and those reports are under continuing investigation and follow-up in an attempt to verify the information. Uh, with respect to that 119, we can subdivide those into two basic categories, and that would simply be 
those reported in a captive environment and those reported in a non-captive environment. That would be 68 were reported in a captive environment and the remaining 51 in a non-captive environment. From the standpoint of when the reported sighting occurred, uh, one of those occurred in 1987, two in 85, three in 82, and five in 81. And those are people in a captive environment? Those are ones in a captive environment where the source has said, that's when I saw this occurrence. And you have been unable to, to uh, confirm or deny or refute those, uh, those statements? That is true, yes. President Reagan, and he is the first president to give anything but apathy and non-effort to this issue, and he has employed uh, priority efforts that are evident in every related agency of his administration. I, I preface it with that because that, to me, shows we, we don't have reason to not take President Reagan at his word. He's a different administration than those that left Americans in Southeast Asia at the end of the Vietnam War. He has pledged anything from quote-unquote, bribery to black helicopters in the night to ensure the safe return of any American that we can gain confirmation on alive in Southeast Asia. To me, that, that's very open. As part of our, our position on the possibility that this could be the case, you recall that final statement said, should any report prove true, we would then take appropriate action to ensure the return of those involved. Obviously, we're not going to discuss uh, in specific detail the nature of that action. Uh, that is a decision that would be made at the highest levels of the U.S. government, and I would suggest that that would be totally dependent upon the circumstances at hand. Uh, again, I'm not at liberty to go into those different possibilities. Uh, suffice it to say that, that that realm of possibilities would simply range from uh, negotiations to the far extreme uh, black helicopters in the night. Again, depending upon the circumstances and what the decision makers felt was most appropriate action. But given that in the case of the Iranian hostages, black helicopters in the night was considered to be appropriate action, there's no reason to suggest that it, that, that policy would not be pursued again if it could be shown categorically that there were American POWs in Indochina. Again, that would be within the, the range of options. Uh, again, we just simply can't get into a specific discussion or delineation of what, what those options might consist of. Alexander and Elizabeth Duckett live in Bethesda, Maryland, a suburb of Washington, D.C. They are in their 80s. Alexander Duckett comes originally from Arbroath in Scotland. In 1966, their son, Bruce, a pilot, was shot down over North Vietnam. For 11 years, they were unable to discover his fate. His father even went to the North Vietnamese Embassy in Paris to plead for information. In 1977, their prolonged agony ended when Bruce Duckett's remains were returned to the U.S. He's buried in Arlington Cemetery. He was in the Air Force and uh, he was on a mission to North Vietnam and was shot down by a Russian service-to-air missile. Two yeah, it was a, a phantom uh, jet, and uh, it's piloted by two pilots. Uh, the crew, the other crews that were on the mission with him uh, saw two, well, they acknowledged that they were being um, uh, going to be hit. Uh, I guess they get this uh, little buzzer that, that tells them. And uh, they saw the explosion and two shoots, good, two good shoots 
came out of it. Now, one of those pilots came back, the other man, an older man, but my son did not. It was the first squadron to go to Vietnam. They left in March, and I sent Elizabeth over to the, the base in Arizona to see him off. And he uh, did over 200 missions. At that time, they were not giving us any information. No. Because, in fact, they told us uh, not even to uh, broadcast it very much. That because they missing. were afraid. At that time, um, there, were a, there were a lot of people calling up anybody whose um, son was, was missing. And in the middle of the night, and say, oh, your son's missing. Ha, 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 ha. You know? I mean, just to be irritating. We were without much information at all until 1977, ten years later. The Vietnamese released 11 bodies, and they said Bruce was one of them. And uh, what the government here does, they have a place in Hawaii that they examine the remains to make positive identification. And they said it was Bruce all right. We got to take their word for it. It was a relief. That was all you could say. It was the end of hope, let's say. I don't know whether, whether that's better than saying it was a relief or not. It was the end of hope. Because until he actually came home, you can't, hope is the last thing you give up. And even though the others had all been home, maybe he's just that one person who's still alive. It was 58,700 men gave up their life for that, for nothing. Young men. It should never have happened. If they ever declare war again, let all the congressmen go first and lead the troops. You wouldn't get them to declare war like that. It's all right if you send somebody else. I don't suppose you ever get over it. Because it's so mingled with so many other emotions. It isn't just... He didn't live his life, as you say, an elderly person. He was young. He had a young daughter. And for that reason, you, you feel worse about it, I think. It's difficult. I didn't have a father to see me graduate from high school or to go to a senior prom or to graduate from college. It, it's very difficult. Um, I think that there's some solace for, for me in particular. I feel that at least since day one, my mother said, you know, we don't know if your father will come home. We don't know if he's alive or dead, but wherever he is, he loves you. Eight years old. Um, I have an older brother and a younger brother, and our family ha has been very close. My grandfather serves on the board of directors for the National League of Families. My mother worked countless hours in, in trying to gain answers as well and then recognized that she needed to devote her time more to the rearing of her children. 
Um, is there any sense in which, um, for the families involved, understandably, mm -hmm. this has become an obsession, which in a way has got out of hand, and that um, people are, in some sense, clutching at straws by believing that there are still POWs in Vietnam or in Southeast Asia, because that's what they want to believe. They want to retain the hope that their loved ones are still alive. I don't think so at all. I don't think that you'll find any um, more of a listic group of people than, than the families. We have, as I mentioned, worked. I know the first time I saw the White House here was with the President Carter, where's my daddy sign in my hand. Um, we had to work long and hard to set the precedent that we've set. And we've done that by sticking to the facts, not claiming as some of the newly formed organizations who, who have sort of jumped on the bandwagon now that there's a priority on this issue. You know, there's claims that can't be substantiated, like I, I know of a live prisoner as late as 1987 in Laos, and I have un irrefutable, undeniable proof that's something that when you investigate that, it, it falls short of that, unfortunately. Um, the families, as I said, base our belief on the history of this issue, known discrepancy cases, and the weight of supportive intelligence information. That's an intellectual decision. Michael. Michael, get over here. The Vietnam Veterans Memorial was dedicated in 1982. It's a subtle and impressive monument. Its impact and message is not enhanced by two nearby tents, both housing individuals who claim to be the sole heirs of a vigil begun in 1982 for POWs and MIAs in Southeast Asia. In the first tent, a representative of POW-MIA Common Cause invites donations and sells T-shirts and car stickers with legends like, quote, Boycott Jane Fonda, the traitor bitch, unquote. I asked him on what evidence did he base his belief that the Vietnamese still held American POWs. Uh, it's based on the uh, amount of refugee reports that have come out of Southeast Asia. Uh, it's based on conversations with uh, numerous congressmen who have received a uh, prepared briefing by the Defense Intelligence Agency where they have seen uh, uh, classified information um, and files and records on, this, on, on these people. Um, and have come away and stated, yes, there are people still alive in Southeast Asia. Some of these congressmen have even been to Vietnam themselves. Um, they cannot discuss what they have seen because it's classified and because of their oath of office, but they have emphatically stated that what they have seen indicates, yes, there are people still over there alive. Some of these same congressmen have been to Southeast Asia. Uh, some of them have talked to refugees themselves. Uh, we've, we've talked to a lot of refugees that our government has never talked to that have seen uh, Americans over there since, well, since the end of the war. But these could surely be Americans who decided to stay for one reason or another. No, the majority of the American, the ma vast majority of the Americans, which aren't very many, it's only a handful or two, that stay there of their own free will, are known to us by name. And those people's names are not on the official list of the people who were prisoners of war or missing in action. In addition to that, if anybody is in Southeast Asia of their own free will today, then let them tell us publicly that they're there of their own free will. Otherwise, I can only assume that there is nobody there of their own free will, whether they originally stayed there of their own free will or not. This has also been put down as a fundraising exercise, as a way people have of keeping funds coming in to keep an organization going. You're, you're absolutely right.
As long as we can keep funds coming in, we can keep operating, we can keep telling the American people exactly about this issue and people from other countries that don't know about it. But not pure, but some people would put it down purely as a fundraising gimmick, in fact, oh, a way of no, raising money. No, uh, we are a registered corporation in the state of Virginia. Uh, anybody who wants to can write and request uh, our copies of our information. We're more than happy to send it to them. We're a public organization. Do you think that some of the... I'm not saying some aren't. I know of some that, that are, uh, you would probably say, bogus. You know, they, they are doing that, okay? I, I know of some, um, but... What are the organizations that are bogus? Well, uh, the ones that I feel, one is uh, this place right down here on the end. A uh, man has a sign up out there that says 24-hour vigil on the mall since November 11th, 1982. He's claiming to people that he's the original 24-hour uh, vigil out here at the Vietnam Memorial. Well, see, he doesn't even know when the original vigil started. The original 24-hour vigil started right down here by the memorial on Christmas Eve, 1982. But he also claims to have been several things in the Navy, several things in the Army, several things in the Marine Corps, and lately he's been claiming that he was the officer in charge of the handling of all Agent Orange throughout Vietnam. You know, this guy is a sicko. He's, uh, last year he had a returned prisoner of war down there, supposedly, who had lost both legs in Vietnam when he stepped on a landmine trying to save a three-year-old child who wandered into the field of fire. The Viet Cong took him prisoner and kept him prisoner for three and a half years. And after he was released, he came back to the States and he underwent extensive reconstructive surgery and had both legs restored. Now, please, don't insult my intelligence, you know. Um, first thing I did when I heard this man's story, I went and called a friend of mine at the Defense Intelligence Agency. I said, could this guy be telling the truth? He said, and I'll tell you literally what he said. He said, Gary, this guy's blowing smoke up your ass. I was talking to the guys up the road, and they say you're bogus. What have you got to say to that? What do you mean bogus? I don't know what they meant by bogus. They reckon that you're a fraud, that you don't represent anything. These are the guys in the other tent up there. No, there's been a few going on over a year and a half now over this. And that's all it is. They do that all the time. I mean, there's there's people out here that's got five, ten different types of t-shirts and sweatshirts that are selling them for anywhere from 12 to $25. And there's another group down here that's selling uh, t-shirts and everything else and stuff that's illegal. What kind of stuff that's illegal? Like hat pins and everything. And I'm not selling anything because I've got a couple of backers. Because we went to corporation, we got a tax exempt number and everything else. Ask these other groups, do they have a tax exempt number? Nintendo one says they don't have one. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. But has it become a way of people raising money by keeping the issue alive? Sure, if you want to sell like I said, 20 different types of t-shirts and sweatshirts. Keep it going. Sure. They can make money. What do you think he's doing down there? He has no job. How he supports his wife and three kids. Do you not think that this kind of bickering, if you like, brings the whole issue into disrepute? That's right. That's right. In modern warfare, particularly jungle warfare, it's to be expected that the bodies of some of those who die will not be recovered. The POW MIA organisations recognise that there can never be a full accounting of all 2,404 men still missing. All sorts of reasons are advanced as to why bodies are not recovered. 
On a post-war trip to Vietnam, BBC journalist Tom Mangold discovered one incident which accounts for the disappearance of at least two unidentified Americans. He was told a story by the man who commanded communist forces in the tunnel complex of Ku Chi near Saigon, Captain Lin. And he said, we had these two prisoners, and they immediately fell to their knees and said, please don't torture us to death. So through an interpreter, he said, we don't torture prisoners. You know, we, we don't, we're not like that. So, um, you know, you're down in the hole with me, you're prisoners of war, and um, you're going to live with us until I find out what Hanoi wants me to do with you. So after a couple of days, the Americans stopped crying. He said they cried for a day, and I can understand that. You know, they're young boys. And um, then they said, well, right, we'd like uh, some proper food. We don't want any of this sort of Vietnamese shit you're giving us to eat. We want proper food. You know, we're, we're bread diet people and you're a rice diet. So he said, oh, we're sorry, but all we have, a few dead rats and a bit of rice, which is mouldy, and that's it. You'll have to live with that. And they said, oh, no, you can't do that to us. Uh, we have rights as prisoners of war, the Geneva Convention, and we're determined to um, have our bread and chicken diet. And he said, chicken? He said, well, we haven't seen a chicken for a year. Anyway, cut a long story short. Captain Lin, Lieutenant Lin, as he was then, made his own Viet Cong break into an American base to steal food for his American prisoners of war. So he gets half a chicken and he gives it to these two guys and they demolish it within seconds. And he said to them, you know, my men can live on half a chicken for a month. You know, have sort of two slices of chicken. It's like the Russians in Stalingrad, you know. There's two slices of chicken per every two days and so on. And he said to me, these buggers were eating me out of every food supply that I could lay my hands on. So eventually, when the order came from Hanoi to march them up to Hanoi, a long way from Saigon to Hanoi, and they were marched up, and I said, what happened? He said, they died in the jungle on the third day. You know, everything, they were open to everything. They were totally untrained, they were flabby, they were overweight, and they died. People in these photos could be damn near anybody. Including American MIAs. Now listen, even our own experts agree that that's only a 50-50 chance. You can imagine what their people are going to say. We're going to need something a hell of a lot stronger than that if we're going to make an impression on them. There are 2,500 men still unaccounted for. There have been over 400 live sightings of Americans held against their will. I've heard the numbers, Colonel Rose, but I've told you there's nothing I can do. Oh, damn it, that's all I ever heard in Washington. Nobody could do anything. That's why I came to Bangkok. Rambo, you're probably aware that there's almost 2,500 Americans still missing in action in Southeast Asia. Now, most of these boys are presumed killed, but to the League of Families, Congress, and lots of Americans, it's still a very emotional issue. The MIA issue has given rise to a subgenre of Vietnam war films, like Chuck Norris's Missing in Action and Sylvester Stallone's Rambo, in which the war is reenacted, but with a different outcome. Uncommon Valor is another such film. It's directed by Ted Kotcheff. The whole situation is a big embarrassment to the American government. I mean, they're totally convinced that they're there. There's no question. There's 2,500 missing men there, uh, men who are unaccounted for. There have been 450 hard sightings, uh, which are practically incontrovertible, that there are Americans there. So it's, it's, a, it's a very uh, difficult question because what are they going to do with them? To, what are they going to do about the whole situation? Declare war on, the, on, on, mm-hmm. on Vietnam again? And, and the war was such an embarrassment to, to America. The left wing hated it because they thought that the veterans were baby killers and mother killers and committing barbarisms. And the right, of course, right wing hated the war because they lost. Mm-hmm. So everyone wants to forget about the war, including the government. And they like to sweep 
the whole war, including its veterans, and the whole question of these people who are missing in action right under the carpet. And that's why nothing's being done about it. Rambo, you certainly don't know as much about me as I do you. But I hunched with the 2nd Battalion, 3rd Marines in Contum in 66. I lost a lot of good men. So I know what you and every vet feels now. Maybe the government didn't care. Maybe certain segments of the population didn't care. My committee cares. So what his committee needs is conclusive proof that Americans are being held. And once done, rest assured we'll get our men back. Now, if there's any of our men at this POW target camp, you're to confirm their presence by taking photographs. Photographs? Just photographs. Under no circumstances are you to engage the enemy. I'm supposed to leave them there? I repeat, do not engage the enemy. Some of them advocate private initiative, um, like the Rambo attempts. That's something that we don't feel it would bring a resolution to this issue. They've been tried in the past. Even some family members have supported them in the past. And they've proven only to delay the, the pace of results to give the Vietnamese or the Lao a way out, um, a reason to not cooperate. I know one, one such effort delayed the excavation of a crash site in southern Laos for almost a year. That we don't need. We don't. Instead, I think we need the informed and unified public support of the American people so that we can signal Hanoi that we're very unified in this effort. As have, have, have those films, though, done that's you I was any say, As far as public awareness, I think that um, some of them have been helpful. They have run the gamut from credible to incredible. And at this point, this issue does have priority. Um, it's something, fortunately, it's not yet a household word, and we hope that it will be resolved long before it becomes one. On the other hand, it's one that, that gains a, a lot of attention in the media and, and is compelling to the American people. So in as much as these films can... Um, aggravate an already exacerbated emotional feeling in the American people and cause them to want to act responsibly and get informed, then I think they're good. Um, the support of the American people can work to our advantage. During the Vietnam War, there was divisiveness in this country, and the Vietnamese played that to the hilt to our disadvantage. We feel that uh, if these movies can cause people again to become informed and act responsible, then they're helpful in as much as they just create frustration and people who, you know, want to say, let's go in there, let's do a Rambo, let's get them out. No, that's not helpful. The next time we meet, it'll be in Thailand with a special ops designate who haunts the operation. Yes, sir. All clear? Sir, did we get the win this time? The Vietnam Veterans of America has a committee which exerts pressure on government to resolve the POWMIA question. Publicly, the organization has an open mind about the existence of living POWs in Vietnam. Privately, however, many officials and ordinary members see it as a right-wing political issue kept alive to raise money and emotions in equal measure. It's my personal view and just that, I want to state that, is uh, I don't think there are any alive POWs in Vietnam. Uh, again, I think personally, the reason why the POW slash MIA issue is an issue it again relates to the nature of the war it's a war that we lost it's a war when i say we lost i mean whatever goals that we had we certainly didn't attain them and in my mind that means you lose and because we lost it because of there there are these nagging questions and doubts and controversies surrounding the war this issue the POW MIA issue is still with us to this day after World War II, there were 81,000 MIAs. 
81,000. It's the nature of modern warfare that bodies got blown to smithereens. We never found them. It was never an issue after World War II. In Vietnam, there are 2,400 officially listed MIAs. Why is it an issue? It's because we had the inability to go back to Vietnam and scratch every piece of earth, and because we lost the war. Uh, the POWs have been given back. What would be the motivation of the Vietnamese to keep live POWs, using them as a bargaining tool? Given the power of world opinion in this day, these days and how news is transmitted, if it became known that the Vietnamese had 20, 30, 100 live POWs warehoused somewhere and they were using them as a bargaining tool, what would the world think of the Vietnamese? the cruelty. I mean, the Vietnamese, if anything, are very aware of public opinion. They use public opinion to their own benefit during the war. Why would, I mean, if they were alive today and if Vietnam was on the verge of some type of trade relations and diplomatic relations with America, if I were the Vietnamese, I would kill them. If they, assuming they were alive. I mean, I'm, I'm creating a hypothetical here. I don't think they are alive. Well, my feelings are that the Vietnamese have absolutely nothing to gain to be holding live Americans against their will in tiger cages in a country that's already uh, economically deprived. Uh, it would be a burden to them to be holding on to these guys. I think that Vietnam um, stands everything to gain to release any information they have on the whereabouts of, of uh, bones or bodies or things like that. I do believe Vietnam is holding remains as bargaining chips. I believe it. I think I would like to see that not continue. It doesn't help them at all, I don't believe. It helps their, their, their cause at all. But no live prisoners, no POWs. No live. I absolutely do not believe that. I believe your POW uh, situation is a major fundraising scam in America by some very few and sick individuals. They, they, they hook people on an emotional level by telling them they're alive prisoners of war. They have no proof. They are using false statements. We've got them all over this office, I could show you, from the American Defense Institute, from the veterans of the Vietnam War who use a name that's very similar to ours, um, which we don't like. And what they do nothing for Vietnam veterans. They have absolutely no programs in order to help Vietnam veterans, yet they raise millions of dollars a year for MIAs, POWs. Now, what are they doing to, to bring out MIAs and POWs? They're doing nothing. In fact, they're causing friction between the government-to-government -government negotiations, which is the only way we're going to get the, uh, any closure on remains. No, I do not believe there are live Americans in Vietnam. I think it's a fundraising scam and a, and a, and a sick one. If my father was killed in 1972 when his plane was missing, I would like to know that. My mother would like to know that she is a widow and not the wife of a missing pilot. Um, if he's alive, we certainly want him returned alive. However, if the answer is that he was killed, that's something that would end the uncertainty that we live with on a daily basis. Death is much different. With death, I think that you can gain resolve, but missing leaves leaves an openness that is incredibly difficult to deal with. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.